Tonight on This Is Vinyl Tap, he's got sunglasses, electric shoes, this vicious dog, and I shake. Phone book full of accidents. Give me all your paper. Give me all your jazz. In 1948, Columbia Records introduced the 33 and a third RPM long player record. One year later, RCA Victor introduced the 45 RPM single. Listeners now had a choice, only the hits or the full album. In the last half of the 60s, the best bands realized the potential of the longer format and began to build a cohesive body of music that must be heard unbroken. The arrival of downloadable music has increased the temptation to stay in the shallow end with the hits. This podcast believes every album tells a story. Tonight, we tell one of those stories. The year is 1981. Betty Davis' Eyes is a number one hit. Queen's Greatest Hits is the number one album. Dallas is the number one TV show. That makes us experts. <laughs> Raiders of the Lark Lost Ark is the number one movie. The first DeLorean comes off the production line. Princess Di gets married. It's so romantic. Oh, my God. J.M. Rowe is wearing a members-only jacket. <laughs> listening to Jesse's Girl. And Doug Cooper is a junior. We don't know much about Tony at this time. <laughs> He's probably watching Teletubbies. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, tonight we're talking about a 1981 big hit. I think everyone would call it post-pop. The post, psychedelic... Post-punk. Post-punk, um, yeah, post-punk. Yeah. There's no post-pop. There's always more pop. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> <laughs> Not all of its power, Tony. I know. The 1981 release, Talk, Talk, Talk from the Psychedelic Furs. As you can tell, this is not a Doug Cooper pick. No. I do believe that if Tony had more familiarity with this album, it could have been a Tony pick. But it is definitely a Jonathan J.M. Rowe pick. That it is. And yeah. both those gentlemen join me here tonight in the Vinegar Rune Saloon. Hello, Tapsters. As we enter into episode three of season three. Yeah, it's that's pretty, right. Pretty amazing. Because yeah. of you, ladies and gentlemen, we have been kept on the air for three seasons. Appreciate the also because Patriot. it's really hard to make us stop since uh, <laughs> our <laughs> wives want us out of the house <laughs> yeah. at least one night a week, or get Tony into the closet every now and then. <laughs> All right. Well, before we begin, I have some questions as normal. Uh, as y'all know, we originally considered doing a botany podcast rather than <laughs> the uh, the music podcast, but we settled on music. But uh, as you remember, we're going to have a episode on hybrid fruits. 
like the clementines or the grapple, um, the lime quat. <laughs> the lime quat is that a thing? Yeah, it's a thing. Wow, the lim- the limato, limato, limato. Lots of fun mixtures of different fruits. Uh, so I bring that up because I'd like to ask Jonathan J M Rowe a question. All right, if the psychedelic furs were a hybrid fruit, what would they be a hybrid of? And don't say a fruit. I won't say a fruit. Uh, I would say punk rock for one thing. And almost, I would say almost avant-garde for this album. And yet. And yet. uh, Pop. Yeah. Would you like an answer? Oh. Something wrong with that answer? You just have a gauntlet. (laughs) You got slapped across the face with the glove. I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna say. I'm gonna say what Tim Butler says. That's cheating. Yeah. Is it? No. Um, I think it's a perfect, a perfect description of this particular album. He says equal parts Sex Pistols and Roxy Music. I'm not sure I see the rock. Well, maybe I early see, Roxy music. Okay. The guy loves. The you guy. don't see the Roxy music? I, I guess like, yeah, I, I see the I don't Roxy see music. the Sex Pistols as much. Well, I, I, think, I think the Sex Pistols comes, and I and I disagree with that a little bit because I think it comes from Richard Butler's, what they call, quote unquote, snarl. Yeah. But I think Richard. I hear a lot of. Uh, I think Richard Butler's voice, voice is so much. I mean, it's not even, it doesn't even compare to how, it's so much better than Johnny Rotten's. Well, it's, speaking of sure. his voice. Um, yeah. Yeah. We're back in some familiar territory here. Um, I didn't mean to sound so rude to you. No, no, no. I I mean, but it's... It was funny, though. It's it's (laughs) more important to be funny than I just thought it was funny that you asked that question, and I had read a quote from the basis saying, this is what we are, you know? Uh, Yeah. Yep. The... uh, I I hear uh, some... uh, Some... uh, Velvet Underground. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's obvious. I I mean, it's the the name is... uh, you want to? I, I, I heard an first. interview where he talked about his favorite albums. Yeah, and after you hear that, it makes sense. Yeah. Do, do you want to guess what some of them were, or even? It's a pretty interesting mix. Well, he's a Dylan fan. I know that. Blonde, blonde on blonde. blonde was. Never mind the Bullocks. Is that one? That wasn't on there. Oh, uh, but, so he was a fan of Edith Piaf. No. Would he didn't that mention one. that, but he did. He mentioned being a fan because his his parents would play it all the time. Well, I, I, yeah, and I think that's the kind of the neat thing about this band, and something they stress a lot was uh, th- while they love the energy of punk, they did not understand those bands hating all the music that came before because these guys all yeah. love that. They stuff. separated yeah. themselves from yeah. that hatred of the '60s stuff, particularly. The, uh, the he said blonde on blonde, which makes perfect sense. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I hear that in this album. Yeah, the other one was Roxy Music's first album, which that. that's not hard to hear. Yeah. And then Led Zeppelin two. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> which everybody likes Led Zeppelin two. Yeah. So well, and and the and the the, the energy the yeah. uh, the description of their music that kept popping up everywhere I read was Wall of Sound. Now, when I think of Wall of Sound, I think of. Um, 
<laughs> Phil Spector. Phil Spector, thank, thank you. you. And this is a different. This is more along this the lines. This is a wall of electric cords. Well, this is a, this <laughs> yeah. is along the lines of w- the way people describe Husker Du as being a wall of sound. You yeah. know, it is a wall of sound, but it's not quite the same connotation that uh, you These get are when you talk about Phil Spector. Fat cords. Yeah. Yeah. And they just. It's it's interesting because they're pretty they're pretty uh, stationary. Yeah. This. It's just, it well, sounds like every guitar power. is hitting. Yeah. It sounds like every guitar. There's like 15 guitars, and each one is playing one chord. Well, and 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 I think it's I think it's pretty interesting that anybody coming from from the outside into this band and not knowing a whole lot about the early stuff, I count myself as one of those guys to a certain extent. I think would be surprised at what a guitar centric band this band was at yeah. one point. Yeah. Because this is a guitar. The first two albums are heavy guitar albums. Right. Well, yeah. they didn't have. Uh, as many options at this point as they developed later. Yeah, I need to. I need to be uh, um, perfectly honest with the folks at home. Doug Cooper was an early adopter of the psychedelic furs. He he uh, listened to the first album and this album because at my high school you had to do that to be cool. And uh, <laughs> also, I I saw them. At the Austin Opera House. Oh, but that was. Cool. I, they were when, either when touring that? this album or the oh, one wow. after. I can't remember. Wow. But I remember thinking, uh, we're going to watch Butler die right in front of us tonight because the guy <laughs> looked like a corpse. Yeah. I think that was at the peak of his uh, ill health. Yeah. Anyway, he looked a lot better when I saw him <coughs> in the 2000s. But after talk, 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 I didn't keep up. And uh, I'm pretty sure that when. Uh, Love My Way came out. I thought I was too cool for someone that had such a big hit. Love My Way, it's a new But um, <laughs> I think a lot of people did. That's yeah. a now, uh, ladies and gentlemen. You know, we all have recanted that attitude. Yeah, and we're very sorry. Yeah, that was the one album I knew the most, but it was later on. Like I bought that. I said telling you guys earlier, I bought that album with a friend of mine in '84, maybe. I think that came out in '82 because this band knocked yeah. out three albums in a row. Like yeah, 80, pretty 80, fast. 81, yeah. 82, something Very. Like that. Um, it seems like a pretty fast rise. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and and I was surprised to learn, and we can get into this a little bit when we talk about connections. But this. happened tony you just said the word and look what happened uh do you have a connection tony well yeah i mean i wasn't going to bring up a connection but i can in context of this steve lillywhite the producer yeah so he produced the first two psychedelic furs albums he also produced the first two u2 albums and what's fascinating to me i realized listening back to the last episode i say fascinating a lot so forgive me i'm (laughs) i'm often fascinated by what we talk about yeah you don't say Um, it that much now (laughs) now that i've been uh, helping with the editing thank you um (laughs) but i i was i did not realize that these guys were on par to be as like be what you two became at this point in their career yeah and uh and and i don't know if this is true or not um, but they they chalk up their their demise to a particular show in Germany 
Both of them co-headlined, U2 and the Psychedelic Furs co-headlined this show in Germany called Rock Palast, I guess. I'm probably screwing that up. U2's performance was epic. And according to Tim Butler, the Furs were falling apart and their their performance was less than epic. U2 goes on to hit the stratosphere, Psychedelic Furs. Not so much. I mean, they were a big band, yeah. but they were not U2 big. And I don't did. think they ever had the general appeal that U2 had. Well, Bono or could so, have. Yeah, and they... Um, and they're never the showmen. They I, weren't I the showmen, yeah. They, they, I saw both those bands about the same time, and you have one guy that you're you're wondering, who's going to be the pallbearer? <laughs> and the other one, Bono, is up there being Jesus. So, Well, I think, I think uh, you know, maybe we as... as people over across the pond don't get it but in the uk these guys were evidently positioned to be like oh i believe it big I band. Do too, yeah I, I i think um i <laughs> these guys remind me of rem in a lot of ways and that yeah they have these very attractive tunes they have that very unique voice that's immediately recognizable and um i i think they could uh, see that happen i think there was a little, a little more pop yeah a little more yeah. pop i think that a little more hooks. Another reason why I think these guys, you kind of touched on it, Tony, is that they started to implode. They, um, you know, or U2 is trying to look for a a fresh sound, bringing in somebody like Brian Eno to, to work on their album. Oh, what do you know? Yeah, yeah right Brian Eno saved the day. <laughs> so for their third album, they bring in Todd Rundgren. And Todd Rundgren... Another connection. Another connection. Yep. He now actually... Uh, he basically uh, took over the band, which he... That's you know, what he does. That's what he does. Well, yeah. and they had lost their saxophone player and their their second guitarist guitar at that yeah. point, and so they Todd Rundgren took the, that opportunity to make to bring in a bigger horn section and yeah. then slather them with keys. Yeah. I like that album a lot. I do too. I, I think, think it's it's one of the um, and you know to talk about. I mean, that's not the album we're talking about, but the connection we're going. He's connected yeah. to XTC, mm-hmm. yeah. Meatloaf. Meatloaf. Yeah. Who else? Bad finger to a certain extent. Bad finger to a certain extent. Well, right. and um, we left a Steve Lillywhite connection. Oh, yeah. There's a lot. There's the Pogues. There's uh, a big country. Big country. country. Yeah. Uh, you got any more connections? Um, I can't think of anything else. Um, you know, I was trying to find... CBS was their distributor here. I was hoping they were going to have some sort of connection like John Hammond or somebody, but <laughs> that would have been in, something. But can't. <laughs> what, what about the, we got brothers again. That's true. Yeah. So the, that plugs us in with uh, the Kinks and uh, the Finn brothers. Yeah. I, I can't remember who else we've talked about that had brothers, brothers. in the band. The, uh, um, um, what's it, Marshall Crenshaw? Oh, that's right. oh yeah. Marshall Crenshaw. Very good. Yep. Uh, so anyway, ladies and gentlemen, there's our uh, haphazard attempt at I, connections. Oh wait, I, I've got one more just because oh, I want to talk about this story. There's kind of a Bowie connection. I mean, there's not really, but I want to tell this Bowie story since we since we I'll use this as an example. <laughs> this is your excuse. <laughs> Evidently, sometime in the mid to late '80s, uh, Richard Butler was at a party with Iggy Pop and David oh, Bowie, and he's liquored up and he goes up to Bowie and in his face and says, you can't effing act, can you? And Bowie goes, well, I didn't ask your advice. And he looks at him and goes, I didn't give you any. And wanders off. Which I think it's kind of, I mean, it's a stupid story now, to do that to Bowie, but it's funny. I'm, I could see some Bowie and Richard Butler. I see a bunch of it. Yeah. Well, no, no I mean, it's, it's almost to the point where I would be a little suspicious. Yeah. 
No, I think I think that that's that that makes sense, and I think Bowie took it all good naturedly. He was going to produce him at one point, and then well, never worked if you're out. But Bowie, why do you care? You, mean, don't you're you, go, you don't care. You don't care. Excuse me. Yeah, I died at the Alamo. I'll ask the wrong one. When I was watching him interviewed, uh, he kept reminding me of Bowie during the whole interview. I expected a real jerk. Uh, no, he was. I mean, but yeah. everything I saw, he's he seemed to be real pleasant. I, I think the guy had some. About the time this album and the next one came out, was struggling with some demons, uh, demons, and I think he overcame them. And uh, I seemed like he turned into a gentleman. Time, yeah, when I saw him, he was just high fiving a whole time. He was I, on, and he's like six seven or something. And yeah, he. Like, I remember that. He's and he was just he and his butler, uh, he and his brother uh, Tim, Tim Butler, are, are both very tall and. And, but he was just high five in the crowd through yeah, every. They both single played song. in the, the ring cycle. Wagner's uh, they played giants in the ring cycle. <laughs> I get the impression. I always get, just reading from him and seeing him on stuff. I got the impression that he was probably a pretty cool guy. Yeah. Well, he he seems to be on the interviews, I, and he was being interviewed by this sassy girl who thought she was a lot funnier and cuter than she really was, yeah. and he was really gracious. I I was impressed. Huh. I, uh, well, since we're talking about him, I just want to say, I think he's this band's secret weapon. I, I love his voice. Yeah. His voice is remarkable. Isn't uh, that kind of like saying, um, <laughs> isn't he the band? I don't think he's the band. What percentage of the band do you think is Butler? Well, I mean, it isn't Fleetwood Mac. No, it's not Fleetwood Mac. But if you want to talk about what made them stand out, you can't dismiss the fact that they had a saxophone player in the band. That was unique, and that sound made them different than any other band coming yeah, out at this I time. Yeah, um, you could go pick one of those up, though. That's, I, I guess. I mean, I mean, you know how many of these marching bands have saxophone players? I know, but he was it's, also the keyboardist. Like a, it's and he kind of like a bass player almost. <laughs> I don't know. I guess I get it. I get it. You're right. I mean, it's there's interchangeable people, but I, uh, I, I don't know. I'm just because his voice is so unique. It's 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 the it's that same kind of voice that, um, and I'm not comparing them in terms of but the same kind of voice that someone like, um, uh, Shane McGowan. You know, it's not a uh-huh. typical voice, right? But there's something about <laughs> it, it that sounds just like com- three people are just singing. compelling. Yeah, it's absolutely sing. compelling. Yeah, and it go- it fits in, so <clears throat> it's it's almost buried in the mix, when, especially on this album. Yeah. Well, but speaking of connections, yeah. does this remind you of a Nielsen or a um, a Queen? <laughs> Not really. Yeah, that was a joke. <laughs> Thanks, guys. <laughs> I don't think he has three octaves. No, it's. I, I don't know if he has an octave. But but even with that, there's just his. No, he has a compelling sound. Oh, it's great. It's yeah. uh, it reminds me of what we were talking about with with JJ Kale. Um, really, no reason for anybody to think <clears throat> this guy ought to be singing until yeah. it until you hear the finished package and you go, "This is perfect." This well, is exactly and, what it's supposed to be. And yeah. like every band of this era, they wouldn't have been a band had they not stumbled upon a, seeing the Sex Pistols live. Yeah, and that's that made them realize, hell, if those guys can do it, we could do it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh huh. Well, must, but I would say more than most bands, this this very unique and compelling voice. Mm-hmm. That I mean, can you imagine? Uh, this is the kind of guy that no one's going to ask to sing at their wedding, right? Yeah, but right. at the same time. It's just yeah. a very, very necessary voice for, yeah. this, for this band. I think about someone covering these songs. It's hard. 
Yeah. And people have. I know, but I, I can't think of how they would do it. <clears throat> <clears throat> yeah. I mean, this album for me, I come back to this touchstone moment when, you know, MTV was went on the air in 1981 and I was just fascinated by it. And this, one of these people that were in heavy rotation, one of the bands was in heavy rotation was the Psychedelic Furs. And the one, it actually wasn't pretty in pink that first caught my attention is that song, Dumb Waiters, that's on this album. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> I think in my notes I said, I bet that's Jam's favorite song on this album. I think I put that in my notes. <laughs> so it's not surprising. Um, but it's just, it was one of these things I just never had had heard. Again, it's like I just never had heard anything like, like this before. And I would bet, I would venture to say that this album was pretty much my go to album in my, in high school and most of college. Uh, you know, I, besides making movies, I think I've listened to this, this album the most in college and high school. And it was one of those albums where I didn't even know. I hardly ever listened to the second side because the first, I bet I didn't listen to the second side for like the first two or three years that I had this album because mm. I loved the first side so much. Um, it, but, is there something that you hear in this that you also hear in I Will Follow? Yeah. You too? Yeah. And guitars I, that's and that's another Steve Lily White. Yeah. I, I will say uh, we've talked about this before. The, in listening to this album, uh, in in terms of the mix, um, yeah, the guitars are driving. But as you mentioned, JM Richard Butler's vocals almost seem down. But the drums yeah, are, the drums way, are up, way up, yeah. way way up. And they're oh man, they crackle so. I mean, everything. So even the opening uh, it, crack of the drums on Pretty and Pink. Just, you know where this this is well, going to be a hard driving album. I did a little experiment today listening to the first album and this album, and a lot changed. Uh huh. It got cleaner. Yeah. Uh, the Less power more. the power well, is up a notch, and yeah. they seem to be a complete, fully self possessed band. I don't think they quite had ma mastered what they were doing on their first album. Uh, in yeah. fact, the Butler brothers both say that what Steve Lillywhite, the, the big distinction was he wanted the first album to sound like their gigs. And then when this album came along, it was much more, let's see what we can do in the studio to kind of make your gig sound like this album. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, um, and I think there's, it's funny that you mentioned when you mentioned Dumbwaiters, you said, I had never heard anything like this. I think that's the song that sounds the most like their first album. Yeah. Yeah. And so I was going to say, until you probably picked up their first the album, first then you're like, oh, yeah, this, this you're is like, where that yeah, came from. Yeah. But uh, yeah. One of those bridge songs that straddles between two albums. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I read someplace and it struck me how this this seemed a, a sort of a prescient comment. This band, I don't know why, but this band, almost more than any other band I can think of, seemed to straddle the 70s and the 80s in a way that a lot of other bands did. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, didn't say that. You know, and, and they, it's sort of like, this is equal parts, mm -hmm. you know? 
Yeah. Um, especially this album, I think, in a lot of ways, is equal parts. You know, now that you're saying <laughs> that, I'm thinking about, you know, The Clash kind of did that. And we talked about this with the jam. Unlike unlike the Clash, the Psychedelic Furs got to that point a lot earlier in their career. The, the Clash yep. had to go through some growing yeah. pains before they got to that point. The Psychedelic Furs sort of knew. it's it's strange. Yeah. It's it's like they were taken, they were abducted by aliens and taken away for about six years yeah. and sent to find <laughs> yourself camp, and then mm-hmm. came back and they're a, a complete. Uh, yeah. finished product i mean they one thing you can say about this band is they almost every album sounds different i mean you you can hear uh richard butler's voice but almost every album has something yeah that's a, the, and unique about it that, that that's absolutely true part I mean, of it is, is the, you know the rotating musicians that they have right. but well, in rotating production, you go from yeah. Steve Lillywhite to uh, <laughs> Rundgren. Todd Rundgren. That's a big. Uh, you go from yeah. a producer who the band said sort of was hands off with yeah. Steve Lillywhite to a guy who's you're not, not so much. Yeah. You're not. You're not allowed in the studio. Yeah. Today. <laughs> like, you give him your name and then you go go yeah, down to the pub. Yeah, I said this about about Steve Lillywhite before. He purposely has not learned to play an instrument because he does not ever want him to be performing with the band he he, he says that's just not i wish i, I had a good excuse like yeah. that <laughs> Todd Todd Rundgren, Rundgren, on the other that, hand <laughs> played almost he played the guitar he played the saxophone he played yeah. the marimba he played you all get, the keyboards you get a producer and a band with todd yeah yeah how did we get from richard butler's parents living room to talk 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 <laughs> <laughs> well for one thing uh, his mom kicked the band out because they were too loud. <laughs> oh yeah, I read that. <laughs> made, made him go find someplace else to go. Yeah, I just, play. I just can, I can't help but think his mom's going. Yeah, that's, that's not really a pretty voice. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, a, I'm assuming I'm using the wrong accent for his mom, but <laughs> boy, I only got um, one mom accent. That, uh, but yeah. And and that pretty that quote unquote not pretty voice behind this cacophony of sound yeah. it had to have been something. Yeah. It's just something like what? Yeah. What, and, what and did I? We're what? not talking about the finished product at this point. No, I mean, it must be just horrible. Although yeah. it seems like they got a fairly big following fairly easily. Uh-huh. I mean, they stay, they went from hanging out and playing in. I mean, this is the way they tell it: playing in uh, the Butler's living room to. You know, having a thousand people show up at their gigs in London, yeah, before yeah. they're even signed. That's yeah. that's impressive. I I think probably it's a little bit of the in your face uh, sound that they have, and I, that's appealing to people. Well, yeah, and they were also so distinctive. Their songs weren't three minute, right. you know, crunching shout. I mean, they were yeah. they were doing things that were uh, not anything. You know, mind-blowingly new, but at that point, different than what every other band was doing. Right, it's kind of like 
six minute punk rock songs. Yeah. Uh, some atmosphere thrown in. Yeah. And, and, and to the extent you could understand the lyrics and get the lyrics, there's this this clever cynicism kind of coursing throughout everything yeah. he's oh, saying. Did you find yeah. it? You find some cynical. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not. It's not. It's not that kind of cynicism like the like the Sex Pistols or something yeah, like no, that. It's, it's not it's, tear it all down. It's much right. more. It's much more nuanced than that. It is. And yeah. intelligent. They're, they're much more nuanced band than most of the bands that they'd be compared to. I think. Yeah. Yeah. So they go from the living room. Uh, they they become RKO. RKO and then uh, radio, right? Radio, yeah. A radio for a while. And then the Europeans. <laughs> so That's such an awful name. <laughs> well, I, you know, it's almost as I, bad I as would Europe. like, we have a lot of fans in, I don't know if they're fans, we have listeners in Europe. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, if, that's a good distinction. Yeah. If y'all could tell me how come y'all get to be a separate continent from Asia, I would really appreciate it. It's like us deciding we're a separate continent than Mexico, and I don't think we can do that. I don't think, yeah. Anyway, back to our program. Um, <laughs> Europeans, and finally, thank God that name fell away, yeah. and they became the psychedelic furs. Which yeah. was, as you mentioned, just, to, but yeah. just in case people did not hear they, it. Yeah, they're named after the Velvet Underground Venus and furs, and I think they just like the name psychedelic. Down his sins of street life fancies, chase the costumes she shall wear. Ermine furs adorn. Which, of course, they sound much like the albums we've talked about. They don't sound they psychedelic, don't sound psychedelic, at, psychedelic all. at all. <laughs> at, least, at least they didn't try to make a psychedelic cover. That's true. <laughs> That's true. Which, yeah. ladies and gentlemen, all my favorite covers are psychedelic, uh, trying to look psychedelic. Oh, those covers. are pretty. I like the album covers. Most of them. Most of them. It's well, a very eighties like album. The, if I like yeah. pictures of guys, I would like the cover. Yeah, <laughs> it's got the it's got kind of a synchronicity th- yeah, vibe going to it. It does have it, the well. same color scheme. Yeah. yeah. But, well, and then so uh, they become very successful in England, and then they come to the United States, and they're very successful. They're paying for their own tour. They're on the road. They're in a van. They're paying for their own tour, and then the record company goes. Hey, I'm going to be British. Hey, bloats, this thing's taking off. Uh, we're going to extend your tour and help pay for it. And they get them so that they're opening four. Ha, 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 ha. That was funny. All right. Why we get it? We got signed by Epic. Yeah. And and the reason, the, the reason they got signed by Epic um, is not only were they pulling in a thousand people per show, yeah. which is a pretty big deal. That is pretty big. But they ended up on um, on a radio show. Um, the and this, ladies and gentlemen, some of the younger people in our audience might not know that the word epic used to not just mean good; it uh, had a different meaning. Yeah. So it was less common to hear. Um, they did a live show on John Peel's Radio One show, which was a big deal in the UK. And as a result of that, the the way they the way they you know presented themselves there and their and their live shows 
being such a draw, Epic signed them. And it was epic. Yeah, and they released released their first single in 79 called We Love You. Followed that by with another single, Sister Europe. Yeah, that's a great Sister song. Europe, you. <laughs> sister <laughs> sister christian oh. um and then uh and then they released their debut in 1980 yeah. uh, self-titled debut how did it end up on uh cbs is that epic's a subsidiary or something like that? maybe in the states i don't know and the odd thing about at least the first two albums is they have different running orders in the uk and the u.s yeah and i think the uh the u.s album removed you that's odd that that must be a later pressing doug because uh black's radio was removed off the u.s version and replaced with two other songs oh, but, really? but your copy right there has that so huh mm. very interesting, interesting. Yeah. yeah yeah this is uh, like i bought it at a uh a collector's deal it's oh. worth forty thousand dollars <laughs> but if you listen to that first album i think everything we talked about you can you can pull that out of the sound you can hear bowie yeah. You can hear Roxy music. You can hear the Velvet Underground. Yeah. I think, unfortunately, although it, you can hear a little bit of the doors in there as well. Uh-huh. Um, but, uh, you know, obviously, these are guys who are pulling from what they what they loved and trying to do something new with it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then there's a saxophone. And you yeah. go, huh? <laughs> yeah, you know <laughs> you how sure that guy you- joined the band? No, they needed someone to, with a van or something. No, he just showed. He showed up with. He showed up with. Um, oh, who in the band did he show up with? Um, oh, he showed up with Roger Morris at a at a at a rehearsal, and he had the saxophone, and he just started jamming with the band, and they're like, "Oh, this sounds pretty cool." Huh. So they kept him along, and I, I think that was a good move because it yeah. does set them apart immediately. It does. It yeah. does. Um, and and what's funny about that is between the first time and the second album, that guy gets in a. Uh, gets in a pub fight um and that guy being duncan kilburn yeah gets in a, a fight at a pub and breaks his jaw oh god you can't really play the sax when you got a broken jaw but what else did he do jam you he mentioned played keyboards so that's why the second album has a little bit more of a keyboardy it's got uh, sax obviously yeah. it's got sax in it in fact it's got a fantastic sax solo on a couple of songs yeah. but but it's more keyboard oriented because he was nursing a broken jaw at the time <laughs> Yeah, and the way he plays saxophone is not just your standard way of playing saxophone. He hits some wild notes. He uses it almost like a texture. All right, ladies and gentlemen. So we have gone through the uh, first album that had a uh, hit called India. Yeah, yeah, and that, that album was a top 20 album in the UK. It hit number 18. It didn't chart in the States, though. Huh, that's a fantastic song. Yeah. And then... Not long after that, we have the album we're talking about tonight, yep. and we're going to talk about it, and talk about it, and talk about it. <laughs> we're going to talk, talk, talk about it? Yeah. Tony? Yeah. 
is our studio engineer. <laughs> Can you tell us what the opening song is? Are we talking about the UK or the US listing? Because as I mentioned, this one, unlike the debut, all this, all the difference was they just shuffled the songs around. They yeah. didn't pull any off or on. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. I, I, I won't dwell on this. Other than the fact that I think it's really interesting that the UK version starts off with Dumb Waiters and the US version starts off with Pretty in Pink. I think the US version picked the right song. Yeah, to start naturally. Down. <laughs> naturally. No one's surprised so, about that. Yeah. So let's believe, go with the um, yeah, let's go with the US. USA. Yeah. I mean, we're about to land on the moon again. <laughs> <laughs> so we probably ought to listen to the Americans. All right. All right so what's the first song? First pretty, side? Pretty and pink. And that's just a precious song about a young girl, <laughs> obviously wearing something maybe her grandmother picked out for her, or was it something she was born with? Yeah, I, I read, you know, I off, I don't want to reinvent the wheel. When I see somebody describe something, and it's like, holy cow, that's perfect. Yeah, somebody said this song was was as if David Bowie fronted the birds. And I was like, oh, my, that is a perfect description <laughs> yes. of this song. We, we, uh, we didn't, the snippet we played didn't get to how great the guitars are in the opening oh, riff. Oh, yeah, and um, it's amazing. And if anybody's wondering what we were talking about with the wall of sound earlier, you can hear that clearly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and uh, just that guitar riff. I, was, I, I don't know of many bands of this era that were this this kind of band that yeah. makes me want to play air guitar as much as this band does. <laughs> well, one of the things that's really cool about how they how they did it, if you listen to that guitar riff, there is an underlying, like kind of an arpeggiated uh, guitar underneath mm -hmm. it that really just kind of holds that, oh, it does. that rhythm together. Yeah. So I think a lot of people in worse hands, you know, and in, in under the skilled hands of uh, Steve Lilly White, yeah, <laughs> uh, he really kept that. He kept that guitar going and throughout the whole thing. And there's some really, really interesting guitar parts. It, it, it's weird that this is dance music. Too. Yeah, it I is. mean, now, ladies and gentlemen, uh, back in the day when they said dance, that really meant that they were just bouncing up and down, yeah, um, pogoing, yeah. as we this, say. This is before this, they started. Um, uh, I will not go into the ins and outs of the current dance phase, but but the the energy of this song yeah. again, it just talking about this being the song to choose to start the album off. Yeah. It's such a perfect song to pick. Yeah. It's instantly accessible. The energy of the song is incredible. As you're talking about, it's so layered. You've got that yeah. that great guitar lick, and then the, the part. Uh, par <laughs> arpeggiated thank yeah. you uh guitar underneath and yeah. just his his wonderful growl yeah and and, and as it, it's the bass it's the really yeah, the yeah. only yeah. thing that's moving yeah. everything yeah. else is static yeah. Going, yeah. and and the arpeggio of course is going up and down but the bass is the thing that's moving yeah. along yeah. that yeah. and the singing well another but the thing singing is, the single yeah. settles down into a uh you know it's 
his voice is like a power chord mm-hmm. with a lot yeah. of distortion. That's it a is. very yeah. apt we'll example or a, uh, um, explanation or description of his voice. Well, Absolutely. Another thing, they, if there's some subtle chord changes in it as well. Like the the opening, excuse me, the opening riff. Uh, all of a sudden, when he starts singing the verses, the chords change, and yeah. it doesn't. It's really subtle. It go it it. it um, yeah, it's really interesting when you listen to it. And you yeah. have this this crowded lyrics that mm-hmm. yeah. remind me of Blonde on Blonde, by the way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I We can't talk about this song, though, without talking about what happened to it. So Molly Ringwald, who I'm sure you all know, yeah. uh, listeners know, was a big fan of the song and asked, the, the story goes, she asked John Hughes to write a movie around the song. <laughs> and he <laughs> misunderstood what the song was about because the song is essentially about a, a woman who sleeps around a lot. Yeah. And, and she thinks mis- she misunderstands the, uh, her popularity thinks that it's, uh, an achievement. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and everybody's kind of snickering behind her back about it. Yeah. So that's what the song's about. That's not what obviously John Molly Hughes... didn't take that away. I don't think. <laughs> no, but, uh, but so, you know, when this was originally released, it peaked on number at number 43 on the charts. And then um, when they re-recorded it, it went up to number 13. And they did re-record it. The reason they re-recorded it was John Hughes wanted another band to do it because he said the guitars were out of tune. And the furs are like, well, I forget that. We're going to do it. The, the the odd thing is, is the verse. When did John Hughes become an expert on <laughs> guitars? But, and they don't understand where that came from. But the, the re-recorded version is significantly heavier on saxophone. Uh, yeah. The guitar is almost s- sort of non-existent. Yeah, which is, that's... <laughs> That's, that's weird. Actually, that's exactly let's take the let's here. take the guitar out of uh, Led Zeppelin yeah. and see what happens. I mean, that's yeah. stupid. It is stupid. But well, then, Hollywood's stupid. It is. They yeah. and then of course this was a mixed blessing because what happened was the fans who'd been their fans for a while would show up at shows and the first two to three rows would be all these young girls in pink screaming their heads off yeah. and these. You know, people had been following the band for a while. Like, I, I'm not doing this. I it sounds yet. like they needed to have someone explain the meaning of the song to those cute well, girls in the yeah. front row. Well, I, yeah, but, you know, it's also tough when you're, I'm sure it was a cash cow for him, too. So it's yeah, a mixed blessing. Mixed. Yeah, one thing I, when well, I saw I'll him, never when I saw him, this is, this is sacrilege. They did an acoustic version of this song. Really? They, yeah. It was just, but what? No. No, you don't do an acoustic version of the, this song. The, Again, I think something like this would surprise people, A, who are familiar with the soundtrack version of the song, and B, think of this band as a new wave keyboard-oriented band. Yeah. This is a guitar rock band, and this yeah. song proves that. <laughs> you know? Yeah, you're right. Yeah. This is not uh, modern English. No. Yeah. <laughs> I'll stop the world and melt it. I like that song. Well, it makes a better soundtrack than that. <laughs> anyway, uh, that probably was covered in purity with pink which is my sister's favorite movie by the way really yeah it's a good movie i hope she doesn't listen to this podcast and find out what the song's about (laughs) (laughs) i think we've uh, we've unfortunately spoiled a lot of songs for people when we tell them what the song's about (laughs) magnolia hey i'm over it all righty next song is mr jones mr jones (laughs) someone else did mrs jones
Man, I love that's just a great another great example of what these guys are capable of. Those that's energy. Yeah, that's my that, favorite song on that's this a album. Fantastic! I love the song. I, ne- I I I had a hard time moving beyond the song it was on. <laughs> it's so. It's such a great, and you want, yeah, energy. Yeah, the guitar. I'm going to, I'm, uh, we haven't talked about this, ladies and gentlemen, but there is a This Is Vinyl Tap workout. <laughs> <laughs> this Is Vinyl Tap workout playlist on Amazon Music, and I'm going to add that one tomorrow. Um, so uh, when yeah. you're, when you're rocking out to the uh, classics, you can. Uh, here, here is, uh, here's going to be a shocking statement to, that I'm going to say to both of you guys. This was released as their first single on the album. And failed the chart. God, what is going on? I, I, I guess how many times have we come across great singles that didn't make it? I have no there's idea. A lot of yeah. There's a lot of I can't imagine hearing this coming out of the radio and it just yeah, just not. Maybe it didn't make it because no one had Shazam back then. <laughs> <laughs> I, probably I, got, I got Shazam on my watch right there. Um, so. The song, the song name is interesting because you know Richard Butler was a huge Dylan fan, mm-hmm. obviously. And there's the song "Mr. Jones" in the Ballad of a Thin Man. He mentions Mr. Jones, and he was also a huge Bowie fan. And what was Bowie's last name? It was Jones. Jones so yeah. he talks about that being a little bit of a of a inspiration for this. Um, but it's essentially about it's a critique of of uh, how advertising a pop song sell this idea of what I what love is, but in reality, it's you can't ever hit what they're selling, you know? Huh. Yeah. So. Well, I, it's, I love one of the things about this is I love how that saxophone and the guitar are playing at the same time. Mm-hmm. Then the saxophone drops mm-hmm. out and then that guitar is still going. Yeah. It's, it's just brilliant. It seems yeah. like it'd be a fun song to play. This live. would be a fun, it would. it would be, this would be a fun band to play in at this time. I think. Yeah. Um, and and this is that, that, that punk energy, yeah. but elevated beyond what, you know your yeah. typical sort of. Yeah, you don't have an angry person. Yeah. It's like they, he may be cynical, but he's not. He's not, he's not a little brat. Yeah, it's like everybody's got a role in the band, yeah. and everybody knows exactly what they're doing. Yep, and everybody's yeah. talking at me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, T. You're really doing a good job with your playlist tonight. <laughs> I've enjoyed every song so far. <laughs> Next is No Tears. Is that the most... REMs. Yes. Yes. I was just, <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. Those, I love those arpeggios. And yeah. this easily, Michael Stipe could have sung this. Oh, yeah. I'm glad he did it. And I like his voice. I no, I, his voice I, I, it wouldn't have been the same, but this, this is, this is such a great song. Oh, and the it saxophone is. The sax solo, solo is, is fantastic. Fantastic. Again, it's, a, it's using the sax, he just, the way he plays saxophone just kind of slinks in and out and all. It's just, hey, and amazing. you know, um, this is, this is recorded. Uh, you can find this on the internet. You know what question has never been asked by someone who was listening to this song? What's that? Is this band British? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. His voice is yeah. so British. Yeah. yeah. And this is, I, I, you know, we talked a little bit before we started about trying to figure out what some of these songs are about. I, this one, I think, is fairly obviously a, a, 
sort of screed against politics. Yeah. You know, um, but, but it's thank God somebody has taken a stand <laughs> against greedy politicians. The last that, that to me, this is the best bass song on the album as well. It's, I, it's got kind of that Michael Stipe. I mean, uh, Mike, Mike Mills, Mills kind of. No, there. If if this song didn't predate, I, I mean, I I don't know if REM was listening to this album when it came out. Yeah. Um, but it's not like they weren't doing. I mean, REM. When did Murmur come out? It was relatively around it's the, about same, the time. same time. Yeah, so it's not like they. Yeah. I don't think it's easy. It's it's. It would be easy to say they were influenced by it this. Could be coevolution. I think they it could is. Have been yeah. like the alligator guard and the alligator. They yeah. came to the same conclusion through different means but yeah that 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 uh, those arpeggios the uh the baseline the 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 structure of the you know the lyrics and everything yeah. everything about it is very very army i mean yeah, yeah. but it's also very very psychedelic furzy yeah, as well it is. so very, it's very it's very interesting when we get to heaven we can ask what happened <laughs> <laughs> i don't go on my list all right next on this fourth song on side one, Jam's dumb, favorite song. Probably my favorite song, Dumb Waiters. I mean, it's got it's so driving that the chords are so weird the sax part doesn't make any sense i mean it, it, the first it, time the guitars start having some freaky effects yeah <laughs> yeah and then the, i love the way that it ends with those swirling guitars at the end and, and just all your things coming apart like, yeah you just hear those blocks knocking against each other and then yeah it's yeah beautiful. there's a lot going on like i said earlier this sounds the most to me like their first album of, yeah. of anything else on this album yeah i can see that. um it's fairly long. I think it's just over five minutes long. Yeah. Um, this was the this was the first single of theirs to chart in the UK. It hit number fifty nine, and it reached. You'll love this. It reached number twenty seven on the U.S. National Disco Action Top eighty. <laughs> I didn't know we had one of those. I didn't even know. Well, that yeah, 19, I hope that's gone. Nineteen eighty one. I guess we did. There's kind of an interesting uh, history behind this. They they released this as a, a UK single, and it was packaged on an embossed plastic sleeve that was playable on a turntable. And when you played the sleeve on the turntable, it had a commercial for the album with Richard Butler saying, go buy, talk, talk, talk. But it also had excerpts of Into You Like a Train and I Want to Sleep With You and Pretty in Pink were on the sleeve that the single was in. It was kind of cool. Wow, that's yeah. very cool. Yeah, so anyway. <laughs> Those British, they're so clever. Man, people were so doing smart Kind of cool things. Yeah, all we got now is a 180-gram colored vinyl. That's as clever as people get these days. I like it, though. I do, too. I just can't afford it. (laughs) (laughs) You remember a cereal box that used to have a record on the back? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I remember I I bought a copy of a Bloom County book. That had a, a flexi a flexi single in there from the fake band Billy and the Boingers, and you could play <laughs> play either side of it. Well, yeah, cereal doesn't have anything like it used to back nope. in the day. 
Remember those it's baking... It's the way of Saturday morning cartoons. Those yeah. baking soda submarines that never quite oh, worked yeah. the way they yeah. were supposed to. <laughs> or sea monkeys. Yeah. <laughs> Who knew that Brian shrimp were uh, primates? <laughs> <laughs> Tried to feed a banana to a bunch one time. Yeah. It didn't go over so well. All right. The last song on side one, She Is Mine. You want to play Mr. Jones? <laughs> uh, okay, Jam. Yeah. How could you be surprised about the comparison to Roxy Music and hey, listening hey, to this song? <laughs> I don't get that. This sounds so much like yeah, that late does. era Roxy Music. It's yeah, it's right. like ridiculous. I never. I just never thought. I've never put those two together. I mean, the uh, sax part in it. Oh, the sax. Yeah, yeah, it is. It does. Rock, Roxy um, music. Um. You know, and this is also as close to a, a ballad as they. I mean, I could. Yeah, you're right. Now that I'm thinking about it, I could almost see. You know, uh, Brian Ferry, Brian singing, Ferry this. singing this song yeah. and his, and being in his little uh, tuxedo. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. But it's a it's one of my favorite. I, I like this song a lot. I, I like it too, and I love. You know, going back to his cynical take on stuff. I, yeah. I love this. This you know this idea of uh, of. I guess the concept of love can't kind of being a place. Yeah. So he's got to pay the doorman to get in and then he's so bowled over by it that he's huh. got to get a muscle man to lift him up. But then he talks about it being a place, you know, yeah. what's the line? It is a place you don't want to stay. The crazy place. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. I just think it's, I think it's a really kind of clever thought. I, about I love it. the lyrics on this and I've never understood what it's about. That's a very, uh, that's my take. On. I, I think you're right. I think it's, not, a, but, but then he goes, I I called her Fab and Mrs. Fish. I never mm-hmm. caught her name. Yeah. I mean, just those kind of things. It, they're so they don't make any sense necessarily, but they're so evocative. And he, he starts changing himself. And, yeah. Well, I think I think because he's I think the guy singing is sort of uh, it's coming from the point of view of not quite being sophisticated about about hmm. the subject. You know. Yeah. Yeah. But and I love the little um, the little background kind of fade in. You know. Yeah. Uh, the fall in yeah, love, yeah. she is my. I, I just it just works really, really. It really, well. really does. It's it's a uh, it's like I said, it's one of my favorite songs that they've they've done. Definitely one of my favorite songs on the album. It may be my favorite later Roxy music song. <laughs> <laughs> more than Avalon. <laughs> Let's not go down there. We'll, I'll get more hate mail. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <clears throat> Now we're going to move on to side two. <laughs> Party. <laughs> yeah, side two, a song that is... Uh, not very not subtle. Not subtle. <laughs> <laughs> and the... Uh, well, there's two songs on this side that are not very yeah, subtle. But this, this one is uh, a little more imaginative, uh, but still not subtle. <laughs> Into You Like a Train. Toot, toot. <laughs> Yeah, 
That sounds like a lot of songs at that time. Yeah, it does. Like, I mean, I'm I, I'm going to say something that sounds insulting, but like flocks of seagulls and that some of that. Well, it's that sixteenth bass, you know, the bass playing the, the keyboards doing their little am, thing. Am I wrong though? And maybe it's just because of the name, but is that not a trained drum beat yeah, going out yeah. throughout the song? I which I think is pretty, I think it's pretty yeah, clever, right? Pretty clever. Um, and it's, I guess, it's about a trip in a train <laughs> with. <laughs> A young lady that he's uh, engaged to, maybe. Uh, you know, my I wife think you and I s- had a train trip for our uh, honeymoon. It was really nice. And <laughs> it's about a guy who's looking for loving, but not necessarily love. Yeah, I, I, oh. I think, I think, I think you can best sum this up as wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. <laughs> so you're saying that this gentleman lacks commitment to the relationship. <laughs> Excuse me while I wheeze to death. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. he's committed to one thing only, and it's being into you like a train. Yeah. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, here at This is Vinyl Tap, we do not approve <laughs> of this kind of behavior. <laughs> but it is a, a driving song. Um, you know, it's, it's it gets its point across. They, they actually got into some heat about this song. Oh, really? Yeah, and Richard Butler said in an interview later, he's like, I never, it's told from the point of view of a guy because I'm a guy, but I never said that a woman couldn't feel the exact same way. Who's to say that this is just strictly a male point of view? Well, um, it's a train. Yeah. Uh, She could say something, she could sing a song about a tunnel. I think there's a scene in uh, in uh, the Naked Gun where there's like a train oh, yeah. going through. A yeah. I forgot. I forgot about that. <laughs> anyway, uh, and that, I find this highly offensive. It's, it's a really good song. It's, it's a got, great song. It's got the great sax parts in it. it it's really it's good. It's good. It's a good way to open side too. It, yeah, I ladies mean, and gentlemen, that was sax s a x. <laughs> but all right uh another one of my favorite songs on the album it goes on how that you know it's got that fast part and then all of a sudden it just drops down to that half you know halftime beat and it's still driving as is you know as hell but it, it's just um you know I, I i love just how you're everything's so tension 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 and then it drops it down. goes off it's and, yeah. and he's singing like he's uh <laughs> it's 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 funny i mean it works but you would yeah. expect someone to stop and do that if they sounded like Sinatra or something. Yeah. Not well, <laughs> it's funny that I never really, I don't know why I never thought about this, but your your comment earlier, Doug, about the, you didn't say it this way, but kind of the sameness of the way he sings. Like there's not much, there's not much change in what he does. It's not monotone, but there's just this sort of. Yeah, it's just it's a, very, one, it's not a wide range. range. Yeah, 
And this song in particular is that way. It's just sort of a straight, almost a straight line. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. You know, that's, uh, that's something that guitars do to music is if, if you're playing a piano, you tend to go up and down and play the notes. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. if you're playing a guitar, it's power chord, power chord, power mm-hmm. chord. Yeah. So the singer starts going power chord, power chord, mm-hmm. power chord. And yeah. doesn't, doesn't. <clears throat> yeah. uh, you, I mean, the, the best way to look at this is look at the Beatles and you can immediately spot a McCartney tune mm-hmm. and a Lennon, Lennon tune, tune because yeah. McCartney, he's got to be all over the place going up and down, yeah. very fluid. Mm-hmm. And Lennon would follow the chord structure mm-hmm. and it'd be a simpler chord structure. And double track his vocals and, and yeah. Like uh, a tape. <laughs> another thing just listen to the guitars on this one they just are doing making weird mm-hmm. sounds I, I've never really heard guitars sound like this before or since I would I would like to know how many tracks we're listening to yeah that would be yeah that would be, I mean it would be great to get I, the I think well, we got a lot of layers I, I think I think it was Jan that said this earlier and it's it's a it's kind of a a, a, tr- a puzzling thing when you're listening to this band is his voice in and of itself sounds like just straight out of the box sounds like it's multi-track the way it comes it across. Yeah. I don't know. I don't yeah. know if it is or that. I don't know if it is. I mean, sound, it's got, got, the, live version it's got that Phil Collins, uh, Peter Gabriel sound where yeah. there's just, it's multi-timbered. I yeah. guess is the best yeah. way to put it. But yeah, he's got. You think many people compared Richard Butler to uh, Peter Gabriel? <laughs> <laughs> Getting, Other than Steve Lillywhite produced both of them, I mean, I didn't know Steve Lillywhite did uh, Peter Gabriel. Yeah, I think yeah, his third, third album. album. Yeah. yeah, the one before uh, or one, one the, the last. I think the last Peter Gabriel. Well, right? I'm looking forward right. to yeah. our Phil Collins album we're about to do. We're not doing a Phil Collins album <laughs> for those of you listening. All but right, you'll have to be reminded of it. <laughs> no, you won't. <laughs> Lord, I Feel should have known longer. better than to broad, try to broaden your horizons, Doug. <laughs> I've been very broadened. I like uh, hand claps and music now. <laughs> Good. All right, number three on side two. So run. sounds like uh it's from a different time really? I, w- I would almost if you took um richard butler's voice out of it i could almost see it as a u2 song uh, yeah i could see like the the, the, the drumming the in drumming particular and, uh, reminds and, me of that yeah i'm hearing the, i'm hearing psychedelic late 60s oh there's like, that there's that too aspect to it. Yeah. I, I i i love i mean uh, this is so, I, I'm saying a lot of obvious stuff tonight, and I apologize for that. But I love how crazily frenetic this song is, mm-hmm. and and what it's about, which is essentially you know just the craziness of I don't know if it's a music busy's talking about or what. But I don't have it, any idea. But at the end of this, you kind of feel like run down listening yeah, to it because yeah. it's so just yeah. all over the place. I feel like they need a jug. 
<laughs> An electric jug. Yeah. The drums are just everywhere. Yeah. I mean, and and they, they that's I think that's what makes this I mean, these songs could get repetitive, you know, and I I think they do a great job. I don't know if this, this song's is a great breakaway from the rest of the album yeah, because it's yeah. doing so many weird things. It yeah. And it like I said, it my brain goes psychedelic right that's away. Funny. It's almost I, like the drums and the guitars are playing at two different yeah. speeds. I, I think I, I it's now that you mentioned that I'll have to listen again with that in mind, Doug. But I think I always went JM's route of U two. It sounded yeah, it sounded like U two to me. But yeah, it's it's. Uh, um, I could hear an electric jug in it though. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah there's no no uh, digital delay on the guitars, which is uh, I think my guess is Steve Lillo. I got pretty sick of those. <laughs> <laughs> you two. That is true. For the love of God, no. <laughs> you know, have you ever thought about playing through the whole album, <laughs> not just laying down a deal the first ten seconds, <laughs> walking out of the room? <laughs> oh All no! Right. Come on. And now, song number four, another song that's uh It's about a sleepover. Yeah. No. It's um. I want to sleep with you. Want to steal your clothes, but I'm not one of those. I that's an odd line. It's an odd. Well, he's he's been listening to Ruby's arms. <laughs> I will leave with you. All I the really, I will. you know, this is about as straightforward as you get. Yeah, yeah. It, I love this song. It is just um, so. Uh, you know, but again, so. I feel like there's a lack of commitment. Here. <laughs> Well, yeah, there's what, a lot of things he doesn't want to do with her. There's one thing he does. Yeah, it's like yeah. the anti Ramon song. It's yeah. not the I don't want it. It's I want it. <laughs> <laughs> um, drums. There's some something that I don't know what Ellie White did, but where those drums kind of get all echoey and everything, mm-hmm. and then they just back off again. I don't know how they how they did that, but it's really interesting. Um, guitars and sax are just weaving all over the place in the high. You know, the, there's there's a guitar riff on one side. There's a, a saxophone part on the other side, and there's just all this cacophony of guitars behind it. Um, it's just it's really interesting. I mean, this is one of the songs. You know, it, it's so never really got into the song before because of the um, the title. I was like, oh, that's so stupid. But um, it's it's you because know. you have your own morals, and he's got <laughs> yeah, his own. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. It's, but. I love it when people talk about their morals. <laughs> My morals are to do what I want. <laughs> That's one way of looking at it. Yeah. But it's a good song. Yeah. Um, all right. The last song on side two, the last song of the album. The song that Richard Butler says is the quintessential psychedelics person. I could see that. Yeah. It is uh, all of this and nothing.
Well, it's a nice way to end the album. It, it, I like how it starts with that acoustic 12 string and then uh, the saxophone comes in and I guess a bass kind of comes in there as as well and then the whole rest of the band comes in. But the, again, the guitars on this are just mesmerizing um, and the, the vocals are uh, unusual. And- I, I, yeah, I tell you what I like about it is I think people are listening to their radio and they think they're on the Yacht Rock station, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden he comes in and ruins yeah. their day. Yeah. It's like, hey, is that Christopher Cross? No. <laughs> I, I, I do feel this also you sounds, sounds very Roxy, Roxy music-y. I, yeah, yeah well. it does. Yeah. Um, the guitars especially do sound like There that. is zero question that he was in earnest when he talked about that being one of his favorite albums. Yeah. yeah. Favorite bands. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, and... Again, the lyrics are just bizarre. Well, it's a list of things. Yeah. That, that, a list of odd things, but evidently what it is, is it's a list of things that a girl left behind after a fallen relationship. Oh, wow. You, um, and uh, it's all of this and nothing. I mean, it's just... Yeah, because it's like none of this has any value because yeah. it's your gone. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because you're not here. <laughs> the... Uh, that's, ladies and gentlemen, if you're considering being a songwriter, um, think about this. Whoever wins writes the history. Uh, if you write the song, you control the, the relationship. Yeah. If it's if you write it, it's her fault. So, um, <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, Unless you're Morrissey. Yeah. Morrissey. Then it's his fault. It's Does Morrissey fault. confess to it all himself? No. Uh, never mind. <laughs> he got sued or something. I don't ne- know. Never mind. <laughs> but yeah, it's got, it ends the way, it's the longest song on the album. It ends the way that it starts. About a minute and a half of that acoustic 12 string going in. And then at the end of it, it's a, another minute and a half of that acoustic 12 string riff. And then the rest of the, you know, the guitars. But, but that, that riff it. is carried out as well in parts. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, de- it's definitely the theme of the song, if right. you will. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this is a long six minutes and twenty five seconds. That's a long song it for is. a post punk band. It doesn't feel like that to me, though. I don't think any of their stuff feels no. that way. Yeah, it seems rapid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, it doesn't. None of it gets old. There's, no, it there's doesn't. Not, there's not a time I feel like I need to push the uh, double arrows. Yeah, well, never. it's 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 because it's all interesting in one way or another. Yeah, yeah. there's or enough there to to grab many, you. Many ways, it's yeah. interesting. Like and it's, yeah, and. Um, well, I'll, I'll save this for my when I give my opinion of the album at the end or my rating of the album. But it's just there's there's so much that you find every time I listen to this. Or I'm finding something new in it, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and it it does not seem like a, a sophomore effort. It no. seems it's yeah. it seems like a I I keep comparing them to Bowie. It seems like a confident Bowie. Yeah taking advantages of lots of genres. And these guys look so young on the album cover. Well, they are for, young. Yeah, they are. But it just, they, they, when you listen to it, it does, it sounds like a band that these guys are like, of course, when he's early 30. Or uh, Richard Butler still looked like a 20 year old when he was 45. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, this is a fantastic album. Um, you know, that we mentioned earlier what, what happened afterwards. They, um, 
It kind of became darlings of MTV. Well, this album was number one on the college U.S. college radio charts. Yeah, see when when you hear him interviewed, um, he has a deep affection for obvious reasons for college radio. He said, yeah. "You know, we were really able to take off in the United States because they were playing our stuff on mm-hmm. college radio, and I could go from town to town and be interviewed on the college radio station, promote yeah. the gig." And uh, it was very so, helpful for us. And yeah. I, I never thought about the impact of, I, I think I was not paying attention to college radio while I was in college. <laughs> um, but the impact of that yeah. on uh, so many, so many bands that would not have had a chance otherwise. Mm-hmm. I, I was talking to a guy recently about, there was this, a radio station up in Dallas called KZW, just a fantastic rock station. But they, on Sunday nights, they had this thing called the Rock and Roll Alternative. Which is essentially a commercial, like a, a commercial version of college college rock. Yeah, right. And uh, I don't remember how hours how many hours it was, but that guy, the disc jockey on that, George Gamark, was significantly influential, at least to me and my friends, and what we listened to. Yeah. Uh, first Long Riders song I ever heard was on on that. Huh. Uh, you know, just yeah. I I look at my record collection from that time period, and at least half of it's because of that. I mean, that was influential stuff. Well, yeah, and I mean, this was also. 120 minutes came yeah. out. I mean, obviously this genre was starting to, to take off, but you know, that's 120 minutes was where, what I would go. That to. was a great program yeah, too. Um, well, and then, uh, it's funny, even though we haven't been able to post the episode about pure Prairie league, they also owed a debt to college radio. <laughs> <laughs> the college radio is playing their stuff. So, yeah. yeah, we'll have to do that one again. Yeah. One of these days. So it was a, um, you know, after this, they, we mentioned they did the uh, Todd Rundgren produced. Um, it was the album "Love My Way." What was the name of the the album? Forever now. Forever now. Which is and a got a I, little. I remember bit. "Love My Way" seemed like it was on every other song. I know it was. Well, it was. Uh, it was their first Billboard Hot 100 single. Love my way. Right. Flo and Eddie's on that. Album I know too. that's, and they they did not want Flo and Eddie on it, but Todd Rundgren insisted. Well, when you get Todd Rundgren, it's kind of hard to yeah. argue. And they actually said, "Well, okay." Once they heard the backup vocals that Flo and Eddie did, they were. Richard I Butler think it's. Like, okay. I think it's cute that people hire Todd Rundgren and then give him an opinion. <laughs> <laughs> so the well, al- yeah, the album after that was probably, I guess, their biggest. Yeah, that's got uh, Ghost in You. Heaven, which just that, like by that heaven. time they were a, they were a three piece. Yeah, and, uh, it was produced by Keith Fossey, uh, who had worked with a bunch of those kind of new wave bands at the time, and he was the drummer. I, Prairie I don't Prince. Know anything about that album? Yeah. This is when I went into my dark years. <laughs> Prairie <laughs> Prince came was the played drums on some of those. I'm not sure he was credited, but that's a Todd Rundgren holdover. Um, and then they did Midnight to Midnight. And then I just totally... Well, that's got Heartbreak Beat, which... That wasn't their biggest hit? Uh, maybe that was their biggest hit. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. 
don't know. Yeah, I have no idea. But that I, I remember that song was that, everywhere. If I know oh, that you, song I don't know about. Yeah, you would know it if you heard. Well, it. Yeah. when JM adds it into the mix, I'll yeah. say, "Oh yeah, 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 yeah." Well, they used to play at camp all the time. But so after that, I kind of lost. There, there was an album called or a single called House that I remember I really loved. Then sometime around '91, they just shut down the whole yeah, deal again, the whole deal. and they only. Uh, so they did love spit love, and mm-hmm. Richard Butler did his own. That was solo. his. That was his band, right? Love yeah. spit love was that Richard Butler. Tim and Richard, right? Was it just a two? I, I think it was Tim and Richard. Yeah. Well, I mean, they had other guys come aboard, but yeah. And then they 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 went dark until mm-hmm. here recently. Well, they yeah. toured this album, Talk Talk Talk, in the mid two thousands. They played. They played it in its entirety. They did one of those things where they played its entirety, because this is a fan favorite. This album oh, yeah. is is b- by all accounts, yeah. fans' favorite psychedelic furs album. Mm-hmm. So they did that in its entirety, and then they came out and played the hits, the other hits. Yeah, and I saw them on the in two thousand one, and it was I got to admit it was a phenomenal show. But this that guy uh, John Ashton. Uh, he was on tour with them. He plays a lot of the lead guitar on it. And he was playing guitar, making all sorts of keyboard noises. And it was just, and then he was out there, President Gas. That, That's such a great song. song he was playing the cello on that really yeah it was a it was really interesting um but yeah he was jumping around putting on new guitars all the time and there were they richard butler said we do not use any tapes or any midi devices i mean to or triggers that's what he said so anyways Hmm. it was a good good show well and then they came up with the album recently called made of rain Mm -hmm. which is Received good reviews from the critics. Huh, I have to listen to that one. Your uh, your your folks at This Is Vinyl Tap have not. Uh, of course, I'm stuck in '71, so <laughs> it'll be a while till I get to it. Yeah. All right, fellers. Uh, Jam, thank you for picking such a good record. Thank you I'll very much. Everybody. Would you have picked this one, Doug? Would I have? Yeah. It would have taken me a long time, um, and not not because. At one time, I, th- this album was getting played all the time on my turntable. Yeah, but uh, it's about a lot of things I'm not interested in right now. So I get it. Uh, yeah, I have to say that too. It's just it, it's not something. It, there are time and it. If I was going to go out on the town or something, this album would be. Yeah, you know, be I on think the I think I forced people to listen to this at our camp. Yeah. Um, even before the uh, cute show came out. Well, this was something you had been talking about wanting to do from yeah, almost yeah. the get-go, Jam. Yeah, I this have. Was, it's definitely one I'd, I'd wanted to uh, bring to people. That's a good one. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, I'm uh, happy to hear it. Uh, well, ladies and gentlemen, that does it for this week, episode three of season three. Nate, next week, we've got England Dan and Dan Fort Coley. <laughs> 
that's just that's just yeah. trash for the uh, what was it England? Like, what is it? England Dan and John Ford. John Ford. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> one of them's from Texas. I think England what Dan. That, from what Texas. was that song? I'm not ready for the limit, and I don't want. Anyway, <laughs> really good bad music. Um, Tony. <laughs> This is an album that you did not pick. No. This is an album that Jonathan J.M. Rowe picked mm-hmm. with his great humility. Um, so I'm going to go to you first for a rating. Uh, of course, we do two types of ratings here. One is the brain rating, which is as a critic without any feelings at all. And the other is the guts. What is your What do your intestines tell you about the album? Your feelings. Um. I I think critically, you know, looking at, at context from where they came from and what and, and what they, what their debut was, this was definitely a bump up from that. There's not a bad song on this album. There's a couple of songs that drag a little bit to me, but they're still interesting. So critically, I'm I'm going to give it a four zero. Um, I, I for my own personal thing, there are songs on this album I adore. And never get sick of hearing, including Pretty in Pink. That's just a fantastic song. It is. So I'm going to give it a 4-3 for my personal rating. It's a great album. I've really enjoyed kind of listening to it again. It's been a while since I've listened to it, and I never listened to it the way I've listened to it over the last couple of weeks. So it's been fun. T, thank you very much. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm going to go real quickly. I'm going to give it a personal rating of 4-3. And... That is because the the deductions are uh, just because there's a lot on here I don't care about anymore. I don't think about anymore. I don't feel connected you're not, you're to not anymore. into her like a train. I'm uh, I'm scared of her like <laughs> like I'm tied to the tracks. So um, no, so I'm I'm completely removed from the guy who picked this album up at Sound Warehouse back in the day. Uh, so four, that three. was a record store for those of you yeah, listening. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. As as a critic, I'm gonna say it's a four seven at least. Uh, this is innovative and clever, and <clears throat> it's it's something new. Uh, and they may have stumbled into it. I don't know, but I'm giving them a four seven, and I'm giving them credit for what they came up with, and without having to know. I, I suspect that the producer has quite a bit to do with the success of this album. Mm-hmm. And I also suspect that it's a uh, a guy who has a knack for writing hooks and clever clever tunes and a very remarkable voice yeah. that is essential for, for the final product. Jonathan J.M. Rowe, picker of the album. <laughs> uh, okay, I'm going to go with my credit. Critics rating first. I'm going to give it a 4-8. I think this is a phenomenal album. I, you know, the only reason why I would knock it is for anything is I, I think sometimes, um, kind of like what Tony said, I think sometimes sort of the, the, the songs kind of, there's a couple of songs I think kind of drag. Um, that, so that's, you know, my critic rating. Personally, Okay, this is going to sound weird, but one of my favorite movies in the world is Raising Arizona. Mm-hmm. I have probably seen that movie, I don't know, two dozen times, several dozen times. 
And every time I watch that movie, I get something new out of it. There, I, there's a line or something that I just had just never occurred to me before, or just never popped out to me before. But then all of a sudden, I'll realize, oh my god, that's hilarious. Um, that's kind of what this album is like for me. Is every time I listen to it, there is something that I discover in it, and I. Um, and it's been a while since I've really listened to this. Kind of like what Doug's saying, um, you know. I have a little, there's, there's stuff about this that just, you know, I'm not going out on the town anymore, <laughs> you know, uh, getting duded up, putting on, uh, aftershave, you know, Aramis cologne or any, you know, all that stuff is going, I'm just not Aramis. doing that. High karate. <laughs> Careful with that stuff. <laughs> Those ladies will but, be after you. So I'm going to give it a four or five, uh, just because, yeah, the relevance of it is just not quite there anymore. But it does. I do absolutely adore this album. It's one of my favorites. I, when people ask me for a recommendation of an album, this is normally one that I uh, recommend. So, uh, four or five for me. Well, thank you, Jonathan J M mm-hmm. Rowe, your your humbleness. T, thank you for participating this <laughs> evening. Um, <laughs> if, with your permission, I am going to ask Jonathan J.M. Rowe for a uh, recommendation tonight yeah. as part of our You're Not Worthy series. This is where we make a suggestion, and we're way out of our depth, and um, mm-hmm. we want it very clear to everybody that we don't think we know what we're talking about when we're in this area, yeah. but we do like some things that we'd like to share. Jonathan Jamro, what is your We're Not Worthy? This is a, a, an album that I would love for us to do on the, This Is Vinyl Tap, but I just, it, it's almost all instrumentals. It is, uh, there's all sorts of stuff going on that it's a, basically it's, it's almost what I've heard it called avant jazz, but it's really not, I don't consider it as that jazzy. It's an album, uh, Voice of Chunk by the Lounge Lizards. It is not the Austin Lounge Lizards, the the John Murray, yeah, the New York York Lounge Lizards. It is one of the best. uh, It's a fascinating album. There's, there's uh, all sorts of genres. Um, John Lurie's brother, Evan, I think writes, he writes some of the songs. Evan Lurie went on to write music for um, some Nickelodeon show. Uh, the, with the little animal out there, animals with their hippopotamuses, but they're they all weird. I think you captured everybody when yeah. you went to Nickelodeon. <laughs> yeah. But anyways, it's it's a fascinating album. I uh, Voice of Chunk. I highly recommend it. It's a they, horrible name. I know it's a terrible <laughs> name, but uh, the song Voice of Chunk is is really good. recommend it um it's bizarre but it's uh there's very there's some songs that are very accessible on it cool thank you jm yep very good recommendation uh ladies and gentlemen next week we have elvin bishop (laughs) (laughs) at this time ladies and gentlemen we turn it on over to jonathan jm rowe 
which is awkward since we just took it away from him, <laughs> but we'll go ahead and do it. Jonathan J. M. Rowe, close us out, please. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of another episode of This is Vinyl Tap, the podcast that always goes to 11. And if you like this episode, please uh, visit the podcasting platform where, where you downloaded us. Leave us a review. Give us some stars. And if you know anybody that likes the LP format, please tell them about us. And you can also leave us a message on our Twitter account at Tapping Vinyl. So in an upcoming episode, we are going to be doing uh, unlikely covers. Songs by that are covered by bands we never thought would actually cover the song. If you know of any unlikely covers that you would like to send our way, please let us know. Uh, contact us via uh, Twitter, Facebook. And if you can also go up to our fantastic This Is Vinyl Tap webpage at tappingvinyl.com. You can leave us a review. You can look at past episodes up there. And you can also tell us uh, songs that you would like for us to, or albums you would like for us to review in the future. As well as, please let us know well, one of your favorite unlikely covers. Mine is uh, a quilt that my aunt made <laughs> several years ago. <laughs> it's made of burlap. It's an unlikely cover. Next week, we're going to be looking at, a, a, it's going to be a listener's choice uh, recommendation. It is an album by the name of Marquee Moon by the fantastic band Television. Producer Jonathan J.M. Rowe. This is Final Tap, where all the podcasts go to 11. And remember, who is Fab and Mrs. Fish? Ooh.